Welcome to the Apartment Academy podcast. My name is Daniel Cunningham. I'm your host. The Apartment Academy podcast is the multifamily industry's only operations-focused podcast featuring insights from industry leaders, investors, vendors, and technology providers. If you invest in multifamily real estate or are involved in day-to-day on-site operations of apartment buildings, well, we are your source for efficient operations and maximizing ROI. So today on the podcast is Brent Williams. Brent is the founder of the Multifamily Insiders, uh, which is a really great community and source of support for property managers, community, uh, community managers, service managers, regional managers in the apartment management industry. And uh, there's a lot of great discussions that happen there. And, and we'd like to bring some of the highlights from those discussions to the Apartment Academy. And Brent has some good ones today. I hope you enjoy it. So Brent, if you want to just give... Um, just a quick two seconds about kind of the forums that are out there on the multifamily insider side. So people have context on sort of where the discussions we're going to talk about today, where they come from. We're an online social network and we have a lot of different places where people interact. And so we have our main website, which is kind of our, our main hub, which is multifamilyinsiders.com. And then we have a Facebook group that's very popular called Multifamily Share Space. Uh, We also have a LinkedIn group, which is actually where we initially started probably 11 years ago. So there's a lot of different places that people can connect. And and really, like you said, it's it's an unfiltered approach to seeing what people are struggling with, what their challenges are, how they're overcoming those challenges uh, of working on site. Because for anybody who's worked in property management, they know that it's it's, it's a, a fun, exciting industry, but also very challenging. So it's a way for people to share those experiences. Yeah. I, I often say it's it's one of the most challenging industries I think um, anybody can choose uh, as a career. I mean, it's, it's one of those, it's one of the few careers that if you are really, really good at your job, maybe you're the best at your job in the whole country, somebody is probably yelling at you today for doing a good job because they have to do things that are unpleasant. Uh, sometimes. And so it's, 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 yeah, it's tough. So it's great for folks to have an outlet like multifamily insiders to talk about these things. So, so much good discussions back and forth in the last month on multifamily insiders. But one of the things that we wanted to start with was you ran a poll, uh, which was, I thought the results were very interesting, uh, which was asking, Hey, if you're a senior executive in multifamily at this point, where did you, where did you get your start? And you got some interesting, I think, um, maybe unexpected results, right? Yeah, I don't know. You know, our industry is very um, consistent in the career path, right? You know, you start as a leasing consultant, you go to a, a you know assistant property manager, then property manager, then regional, and there's some you know derivations to that, but it's very consistent. So to a certain degree, I kind of expected it, but it was it was very very cons- you know consistent with that theme. I haven't looked at the final percentages. But it was probably around 80% of people who are now regionals or above started as a leasing consultant, which I think is is very actually inspiring. If you come in as a leasing consultant and you can see that your position right now feeds into the upper echelons of our industry, I mean, I think that's that's amazing. And it shows real opportunity that you know, you're not going to necessarily stagnate if you don't want to. Um, and the big question then is, is how quickly are you going to progress and shift that mindset from, you know, a lot of people, when they come into their their career, it's, you know, they start as a job and then it turns into a career and there's a shift in mindset that happens. And so I think it's just a question of how fast does that shift happen? You know, are you, 
you know, the first year, are you ready to go and you're really thinking about your the career ladder or if it's take a little longer than that? Yeah. Yeah. And um, I think it shows that it's an industry that um, if you work hard, if you have a great work ethic and, uh, and you're dedicated, you can definitely rise up from, you know, the very um, sort of the entry level positions like leasing agents and, and um, uh, an admin assistants sometimes or, or property man- assistant property managers and and end up running um, running a whole. We have a we have a uh, an interview with um, uh, with with we have another interview that's that we're going to host later uh, this week. Somebody who started as a leasing agent for BRE and is now president of operations. Um, so that is a very common story, and it's the wonderful thing about this industry. I think uh, you're really rewarded on yeah, on your leasing merits. consultants are where it's at. Yeah. Uh, and what what the the corollary to that is when you have when you run into regional managers or or more senior people in this industry, it's very likely that they really have an understanding of what's happening in the field. It's 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 unusual to find people at that level who are just really out of touch as to what it's like, you know, day in and day out. Right. Yeah. They, some of them may have forgotten a bit about what it's like. Um, but yeah, absolutely. It's it's really nice that they've been in your shoes and they know what you're going through and know how challenging it is to to work with a wide ver- variety of residents every day. Sometimes it's, that's a great experience and sometimes it's not so great. So it's good they've been right there at some point in their career so they can guide you. Yeah. Yeah. So that was interesting. So, so really good... Um, uh, encouraging news for for anybody considering getting into the multi, into uh, the multifamily industry, which you know the other stories that I see from time to time, multifamily in- insiders um, happens quite by accident. Right? There's a lot of people. In fact, I'll dare say the majority of the people in this industry uh, are, are here by accident. You know, they they especially in the leasing agent story is very common. Like, well, I was in college or I was shortly out of college. And I didn't know what I wanted to do and. I had a friend that worked at the apartment building, so he, you know, he said, "Hey, come on over and be a leasing agent." But uh, uh, yeah, so there's um, there's all there's a lot of interesting stories how people got in the business to begin with. Um, so one of the uh, so now switching gears, another topic that came up, and this is um, again one I think is a common theme is that one of the things that's that's difficult about being in property management is we really are dealing with the human element. Um, you know, you you have the cross sections of the population um, from all races, religions, creeds, economic dispositions, and um, and y- you work at their home, right? And um, uh, and that's not always a pleasant relationship. Like sometimes there's there's there are you know issues that need to be solved. Sometimes there is there you know people lose their jobs, people break up with their with their significant other, you know, people have issues and, and all of that ends, you know, the property managers end up sort of wrestling with a lot of that. And so from time to time, you find people become very frustrated on site, right? Um, you see a level of, of um, almost despair, like, you know, that it's really difficult to bear that emotional burden day in and day out. Um, and there was an interesting discussion that that um, that somebody led. It said, "Look, the resident um, is not the problem. The residents are reasons that we exist." And I thought that was interesting how that got kicked off, Brent. Yeah, I, I think that you know, there's a, a high level of burnout that happens in this industry because 
you know, we're dealing with high emotional situations. I mean, somebody's home is one of the most important aspects of their life. And we deal with that on a daily basis. And I think that it is, it's really challenging because as people who work on site, all these issues are just one of many issues that we deal on a normal basis, right? But for that individual resident, that's the most important situation that's happening to them right now. So sometimes a disconnect as far as if I'm a, a property manager and I have like, I have all these different, you know, fires that I'm putting out on a, a normal basis. And so I, it's sometimes hard to elevate my, you know, level of empathy sometimes to that resident, because for me, it's just one of several, but to them, that is the issue of their lives. And so, you know, as we deal with these, you know, situations constantly, it can be hard. I remember when I first, so I was one of the many that um, started as a leasing consultant. And when I was, you know, green, just starting out, you know, obviously I was going to be the one that they pushed to the, 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 res, the hard residents, right? The one that calls every week and wants to talk for an hour, right? So they're like, Brent, you go deal with that person. So, um, and I was, I was new, so I wasn't quite so, I hadn't been there so long that I was like tired of it. So it was probably good to have me as a new energetic person to, to discuss with them. But after a while, everybody gets kind of tired of that. And it's, it's, it's hard to maintain. I, I, I want to share a little positive story about, this is another post that came up um, in our industry. And it was somebody who was asking for help about, they had a resident who was like close to seven foot tall, that weighed over 500 pounds. And they were having trouble because they kept breaking the toilets because they were, they were a hefty person, right? And I think in our industry, because sometimes we can get jaded, we can get, you know, just tired of it all. And in general, that's a situation where somebody can start making snarky comments. I mean, that's a very real possibility in that scenario. So I saw that post, and I'm thinking, oh great, what are the comments gonna look like here? But when I went through them, every single one, it was all these maintenance professionals coming on board and, and there was no judgment. It was like, hey, here's what you should do. You need to look at your subfloor. You need to look at, you know, if you need to do any repairs there, here are some solutions that you might want to try out. There was no, you know, joking about this person's situation. It was just, hey, we have a problem. Let's fix it. And it was so inspiring to see all these people rally around a challenge and really come together as a group to try to fix it. It was amazing. Loved it. Yeah. Yeah. That's, um, I think, um, an example of of when people in our industry really shine, right, is when they they come to answer the call of somebody who's 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 you know, experiencing something that's maybe out of the box. Um, but again, it just comes along with dealing with humanity. Um, one of the things that one of the one of the things that people posted is to remember that there are there are problem residents and then there are resident problems, and that they're not the same, right? You 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 you. You've, you see a lot of discussions about problem residents there because um, although that's the for sure the minority of, of, of folks that live on site, um, they cause the most heartache for sure. But remembering that solving resident problems is the reason that, um, that really we have almost, in many cases why you have people on site. If there were no resident problems, 
you could stick the rent check through the mail slot. Boy, there's there's dating myself, but you could you could hit the push, you know, uh, pay my rent online, and you'd be done with it, right? I mean, yeah. Fundamentally, one of the primary services that we are providing is the handling of their of their challenges. You know, whether it's maintenance or, or whatever. So, uh, you know, always keeping that in mind is key. Yeah. You know, you have a lot of uh, great speakers on on multifamily insights. You have a webinar Wednesdays. Uh, we have really fantastic people that that impart their wisdom on various subjects. And one of them that comes up, I, I, I imagine, must be a frequent one. But one that I saw in particular was uh, talking about um, handling yeah, um, uh, toxic residents. Was handling you know how to how to um, handle conflict and that sort of thing. What what have you what um, if you could if you could summarize some of the best advice you've heard through multifamily insiders on how to sort of push through and and deal with these these difficult moments of human interaction what what would you what would you share with everybody Yeah oh man there's there's so many uh, we've had a lot of great events on this and I think frankly that's something that's sometimes missing in the equation of you know we we know these challenging residents exist. And yet we don't necessarily give our teams the tools to actually to manage that situation, whether it's um, one thing is to slow your own uh, pace and your own tone of speaking so that they then uh, end up reciprocating that tone. People match things a lot of ways. Um, sometimes it's a matter of changing the uh, the setting, you know, if, if you are behind a desk and they're in front of a desk, creating that barrier can can stop people from really connecting in a way and it, it, it can create tension in some ways. So I, I think that there's a lot of um, room for growth in multifamily and training on how to de-escalate situations. And that also goes to de-escalating situations within the office. I think Jackie Ramstead just did a great session on de-escalation within the teams themselves because we're all stressed, right? And sometimes that stress then manifests itself within the team as well. So uh, that's if, if you don't have that on your training roadmap, absolutely you need to look into that. Yeah, you know, again, it's, it's, um, it's an example of where this industry really, I think, stands alone in sort of the wide breadth of issues you have to contend with. Because I don't know that there are very many other jobs that you go to on a regular basis that have this emotional component, both externally, as you just mentioned, but also internally. Um, you know, when when you have service managers that are, um, are you know, really dealing with complaints, I mean, they're out there fixing broken stuff, which means somebody's probably unhappy. You have service managers dealing with complaints. You have property managers separately dealing with with issues and solving problems, and they they come together. Right? Sometimes they're not. Um, sometimes that in itself creates conflict because their priorities are different. What they're hearing is different, and being able to solve all that is a skill that um, I think you become masterful at if you're in this business. And plus, that we are within our product, right? We're right there. We're not. We're not set away from it. You know, when you think about the things that people have emotional connections with in their life, they're talking about their relationships to, you know, their spouse or their kids or their home. These are highly, you know, um, emotional scenarios. And it's kind of like, you know, if you think about a relationship with your, 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 you know, your family, it's like if we, as, as if we were sitting there on the couch with them, hanging out with them, that's kind of how we are with their home, right? We are 
our office is in their home sphere. And so we can't escape that. And we're going to, if they want to, if they have a heated moment in that moment, there's no calm down period. They're walking down to the office so they can, you know, give us a piece of their mind. And, and so we can't really escape that. That's a, it's a very unique scenario. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, as people, uh, from time to time leave the industry, uh, I think what they, where they go, they, they, uh, they have a reputation for being unflappable as a result. And if you can, if you can spend some time in multifamily, you develop an ability, a thick skin, um, uh, an unflappability uh, in under duress, which is serves you in all, I think, aspects of life. Yeah. Um, let's move on to another subject. Uh, there was a, a topic that came up surrounding guest cards. So um, seemingly um, innocuous subject, but really important. Uh, when I started in this business, you no, know, we were literally filling out paper cards and you'd put them in a little index card box and you would, you know, you have to go through them and pull them out. And like this, this person came by, wanted a two bedroom. I got to remember to call them that evolved uh, in, I'd say probably what about maybe the mid nineties. And we started seeing, uh, you know, just, uh, well, lead tracking solutions came out other, you know, digital versions of, of tracking guest cards. Um, and yet there's still not solid science behind how they should be handled. Um, there was a question that came up surrounding well, how many times do you reach out to somebody who'd come in to take a tour before you consider them a dead lead? That was of interest to you, I think. Yeah, I think one of the one of the top comments, and I don't think it's been serious, but they said, you know, until they give us a restraining order. <laughs> so that might be a little bit extreme. But um, another comment I really liked, and they, they kind of outlined their kind of a follow-up strategy. And I hope it's it's a it's a lead nurturing strategy versus a follow-up. But they said, you know, within one day, then, you know, another day, you know, another time within, you know, a couple of days, and then a week, and then three months, six months, and then a year. And I really like the last point because I think that it's fascinating that we are in an industry where very unique that we know exactly when our prospects are going to buy again. So if you take somebody who bought a pair of shoes, you know, the shoe company has no idea when they're going to buy another pair of shoes. That's completely, you know, clueless to them, right? But we know exactly, I mean, it's not always going to be the case, but we have a pretty good guess that 12 months down the road, they're going to be buying again or 24 months down the road. And it's amazing to me that, you know, there's not a lot of companies that are really using that in their lead pipeline. Some of them are, which is amazing, but it's really, in my opinion, an untapped source. They, they're familiar with the community. Um, they, they have a relationship to some degree. And if you can l nurture that a little bit as time goes on, you have this amazing lead source and you know exactly when they need to have their next apartment. And so you can be right there, right there in front of them as they make the decision. I think it's fantastic. So great tip for, for people like when you, when it, getting the person to lease is not the end of the interaction, right? If, uh, there's, it's a continuous buying cycle. I like the fact that you, that you really call it the next time they're going to buy, because I think what, what um, a lot of people, especially outside the industry field understand is that we are in many ways, principally sales organizations. Um, and uh, there is some magic to, to being a great salesperson. And um, the guest card question is what, like how often, how persistent do you need to be? Um, I, and yet I'm not sure there's a lot of sales 
focused training in the business. Like if you go to any other organization that that really relies on sales, they will train on sales. People will be, will be reading books about sales. I'm not sure I see that same dynamic here in our industry. Why do you, do you agree or disagree or why do you think that is? Well, I know that we do quite a, quite a bit on, on that aspect, but of course we cover you know the whole range. So it's just gonna be, a, it's a function of what we do. Um, and yeah, I think absolutely, you know, we do it quite a bit, but there's also more that can be done. Um, and I think that's always an interesting dynamic in this industry because, you know, everybody says, well, everybody has to be a, a jack of all trades. And so we hire for sales because that's a lot of times what the skill that we're looking for in the hiring process. And then we ask them to do a whole bunch of other things, you know, with these accounting functions that make no sense for a salesperson to do necessarily. Yeah, these are two different personalities. Yeah, exactly. And then that kind of goes back to what we we're talking about with the the progression in our industry. You have you know great salespeople, and then the next the next step in their journey is going to be an accounting job, which again doesn't make a lot of sense necessarily. So um, there's definitely some some room to grow on that front and, and understanding the, well, what do we want from our team members, our leasing consultants? Are they salespeople or are they not salespeople? And, and how do we, you know, differentiate that or, or train to specialize in some ways, or do, do we differentiate our team at all? I mean, is the jack of all trades concept, is it nice to say, but ultimately harmful to a team because then are they really becoming experts at one thing? I don't know. Yeah. Um, it, it's, it's difficult to find a person that can, that can do both of those things very well. Um, but we ask a lot of, I mean, community managers, um, you touched on a couple, so they have to be, they probably were first salespeople and now you're asking them to be accountants, but they need to understand real estate law. They need to understand, um, uh, they need to understand marketing. <laughs> um, they need to understand investor relations. Uh, a really great community manager is has to have a tremendous amount of skills, um, and uh, I guess the the real only solution to that is is to do a lot of training. Brent, do you think? Do you feel in your experience um, where do where do where could property management companies do better on training people for that whole journey? I mean, I think it's going to be oh such a range. You know, you know, you see some companies who they have they don't have a training director you know they have they said okay they gave it to a regional manager and said hey you know you know figure out what you need to do to train our teams and they don't know what to do and they're kind of feeling like they're stretched thin because they have all their normal regional manager duties and now they're to be a trained director too and they don't know how to juggle that and then you have Conversely, you have some of these bigger companies and they have just full trained departments and it's um, they probably have more, more stuff than maybe their teams can even handle at this point. So it's such a, a diverse scenario for our industry of where companies are and how to, how to approach it. Um, I think for a lot of our clients, I mean, just the, the bulk of companies are going to be the small companies, right? And I think the, the question is developing a roadmap to get them not necessarily to Z, but Okay, how do we get to the next phase? You know, how do we get to that next step of getting training to our teams and uh, understanding how to inspire them to actually take it? You know, that's a big thing right there. So, 
And, you know, it's not just a matter of putting out good content. It's a matter of saying, okay, we're going to support you by giving you time to take that training. That's a big problem that we see all the time where it's like, you know, our teams are so busy, they're not going to, they're not going to take it. Well, there's a fundamental problem then, you know, because that means that you are holding everybody back because you're not giving them the resources or the time to do such. So it's a challenging situation all around. Yeah. You touched on something which would be interesting. We could we could talk about some other time, which is the the resources that larger management companies can bring to bear on the training front versus smaller management companies. And if this is such a key component to really being successful, um, sometimes we should talk about how smaller management companies who may not have those same training resources, how they can compete. But I want to cover one more thing today uh, before we run out of time, uh, repu- which is reputation management. Um, uh, it, studies show now that that more and more um, prospects are going out to um, Yelp or other you know other kinds of apartmentratings.com, other sources for uh, for reviews of apartment communities before they commit to moving in. And we, we also know, unfortunately, human nature: people tend to want to complain and are more likely to post negative things that they have negative experience than than they are if they have a great experience. So what you tend to find on these sites is a lot of negativity. So reputation management, really key in, in our industry um, in order to not lose potential great prospects that 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 see uh, some picture painted of your community that may not be true. So there was some discussion about how, how that's handled, Brent. Yeah, we actually had a webinar with Gary Gregory uh, not so long ago. And first of all, he's amazing. I love him. And uh, But he was on the Webinar Wednesday series. And so he was talking about different strategies to not even just handle a, a negative review, but actually turn it into a positive. And so I think that's another step up in the in the the goal of of you know reputation management. You know, you don't want just to handle them and handle that situation. You want to how do we turn it into a positive? And so, because I, I I agree completely with this idea that if somebody's emotionally charged enough to leave a negative review, if you can turn that person, if you can address their situation, then they can end up in the long run being your biggest ambassador because now you have come to the rescue. People will, if you if you properly address their situation, people will give you an opportunity to do so for the most part. I mean, that's just a generalization, of course. But and if you can do so, then you've really turned things around and now you've actually created a, a, a fan of the community. Uh, Gary was talking about how it's really important to create um, a, a list of a trends that you're seeing, and not even just from the reviews you're seeing out out in the wild, but something sometimes they're giving you kind of ad hoc reviews as you're going along through the day. So, example, if you're if you're uh, taking a prospect out and they're they're giving you feedback, that's a review. It's not published, but it's a review. And if you can log all of those reviews. You can start seeing trends in where the community might be falling short and address those things in different ways. Now, like he was saying, some things you cannot address. If you have small closets, you cannot physically do anything about that. But a lot of times you can think creatively 
about different solutions that can address these issues, especially if you're seeing them over and over. But a lot of companies don't take the time to log them and, and, and start seeing those trends. They see it as one-off experiences and they just need to handle that each individual experience rather than thinking, thinking about the bigger picture. Yeah, and I think there's, there's probably some magic that happens when that discourse happens in public online as you respond and address um, issues. It, it's really um, heartening for potential prospects to see somebody complain and see that complaint addressed in a genuine, empathetic um, manner. I think that's really important to see. Uh, Brent, what were what were some of the responses in terms of how people are doing reputation management? Are they generally doing that in-house? Are they looking out of house for, for solutions? How's that happening? You know, again, it's kind of across the board. Um, one thing, kind of getting back to what you asked a sec or you mentioned a second ago, was how do you respond to an online review? And so in chat, we asked, okay, so what are you all, um, are, are you responding with a custom answer or are you responding with a, a boilerplate, you know, standard text response? And amazingly, a lot of people who were on the webinar said that they were doing custom answers, which actually was interesting because when you, if you go out in the wild, you won't see that nearly as much. In my opinion, when I've gone and done research on it, I see a lot of boilerplate stuff. Hey, thank you for you know letting us know. We'll be in touch. Or can you get can you please give us a call at the office so we can talk more about it? And it's very, you know, hey, copy and paste it into this scenario. And then there's another kind of uh, secondary effect I don't think that a lot of people think about is, let's say you have, you know, Bob is upset. He leaves a negative review. That review is now floating out there. And now the community has said, hey, can you please call the office so we can talk about it? Okay, now that helps Bob potentially. Maybe Bob calls them up and they have a great conversation. They work it out. But now every single other person who now sees that review, they don't have the resolution. All they see was that Bob was upset and that they may or may have talked offline, but they have no idea. So there's no, there's no like, okay, well, how did this get resolved from all the other hundreds of people who now go see that review? So I think that there's a real big challenge for communities to figure out how to make the response public enough to show resolution so everybody else sees that you're actually taking care of the problems. Yeah, right. At the risk that it becomes a, a kind of an ugly argument if you have somebody who's unreasonable on the other end. Yeah. Exactly. It's a balancing act for sure. Yeah. Well, yet another skill that we expect our community managers <laughs> to have. Um, Brent, again, so much good stuff to talk about. We only have a limited amount of time. So um, hopefully, hopefully we, we delivered some interesting insights to folks today. Um, if you are interested in hearing more about the sort of things that Brent's talking about and participate in the discussion, uh, please go to multifamilyinsiders.com. That's Brent's website. On uh, Facebook, you can find him at the Multifamily Share Space, and you can request access there and become part of this dialogue next time Brent and I talk. Brent, good seeing you. Thanks for taking some time with us today. Thank you, Daniel. I really enjoyed it. Thanks a lot. Well, thanks for joining us today. If you've enjoyed listening to these podcasts and you feel like you could use some advice from some of the professors here at the Apartment Academy, then go to our website, apartmentacademy.com and click help me. We'll send you a questionnaire and provide individualized responses to your answers at no charge that I guarantee will offer you insights on ways you can immediately improve apartment operations. Talk to you next time.